This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, the situation off the coast of Newfoundland is looking more dire as the search continues for the submersible Titan reported missing while on a diving expedition to the wreck of the Titanic. The support ship Polar Prince lost contact with the submersible Sunday morning about one hour and 45 minutes into its descent to the wreck site. That's about two-thirds of the way down. It was hoped that the submersible, which OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush told us in February, has lots of ways to get back up would bob to the surface but an extensive ocean and air search of approximately 10,000 square miles around the site has failed to turn up any sign of the vessel now keep in mind this is the vast north atlantic we're talking about and a very very tiny submersible only 21 feet long the titan has four people on board ocean gate ceo stockton rush uk billionaire Harn- uh, sorry hamish harding French submersible pilot Paul-Henri Nargiolet and father and son UK-based Pakistani businessman 48-year-old Shazada Dawood and his 19-year-old son Suleiman. Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have seen the perils of the ocean all too many times and as Captain Barry Rogers told us yesterday there are thousands of ways for the ocean to kill you so while we remain in hope Uh, and look forward to the triumphant return to St. John's with the five survivors on board. I think we all know that the situation right now is very worrying indeed. Well, the U.S. Coast Guard is leading the search effort, and spokesperson Captain James Frederick provided this update just a short while ago. I'll provide a brief recap of our coordinated search efforts for the 21-foot submersible with five people on board, along with providing an update on current search efforts and plans for the next 24 hours. On behalf of all the men and women of the United States Coast Guard and our search partners, we offer our most heartfelt thoughts and prayers for the five crew members, their families, and their loved ones. Our crews are working around the clock to ensure that we are doing everything possible to locate the Titan and the five crew members. Yesterday, we stood up a unified command consisting of expertise from the United States Coast Guard, the United States Navy, Canadian Armed Forces and Coast Guard, and the Titan's parent company, Ocean Gate Expedition. This is a complex search effort which requires multiple agencies with subject matter expertise and specialized equipment. While the U.S. Coast Guard has assumed the role of Search and Rescue Mission Coordinator, we do not have all of the necessary expertise and equipment retired, required in a search of this nature. The Unified Command brings that expertise and additional capability together to maximize effort in solving this very complex problem. As a recap, on Sunday, the Coordination uh, Command Center in Boston received a report from the Canadian Expedition vessel, a Polar Prince of an overdue 21-foot submarine Titan with five people on board. The Titan was attempting to dive on the wreck of the Titanic approximately 900 miles east of Cape Cod and 400 miles south of St. John's, Newfoundland. Approximately one hour and 45 minutes into the scheduled dive, the Polar Prince lost all communication with the Titan. The Polar Prince conducted an initial search and then requested Coast Guard assistance. The U.S. Coast Guard in Boston assumed the responsibility of search and rescue mission coordinator and immediately launched search assets. Since Sunday, the Coast Guard has coordinated search efforts with the U.S. and Canadian Coast Guard, 
Air National Guard aircraft and the Polar Prince, which has searched a combined 7,600 square miles, an area larger than the state of Connecticut. These search efforts have focused on both surface, with C-130 aircraft searching by sight and with radar, and subsurface with P-3 aircraft were able to drop and monitor sonar buoys. To date, those search efforts have not yielded any results. Search efforts have continued through last night and today. Today, the vessel Deep Energy, 194-meter pipe-laying vessel, arrived on scene with underwater ROV capability. They have rendezvoused with the vessel Polar Prince and commenced an ROV dive at the last known of the position of the Titan and the approximate position of the Titanic wreck. That operation is currently ongoing. Additionally, a Canadian P-3 aircraft is currently conducting a six-hour search of the area, and several C-130 aircraft and another P-3 are scheduled to fly this afternoon and this evening. The Canadian Coast Guard cutter, or vessel, John Cabot, is scheduled to arrive later this evening, and several other Canadian Coast Guard vessels and the Coast Guard cutter Sycamore are en route. Additionally, the U.S. Coast Guard has um, the U.S. Navy's subsail Supervisor of Salvaging Diving Command is working with U.S. Transportation Command to bring additional assets to the search area. These more capable assets will be staged at a St. John's for further transport to the search area. There are also several private vessels, research vessels with ROV capabilities that are making preparations to join the efforts. So I want to reiterate, uh, this is a very complex search and the unified team is working around the clock to bring all available assets and expertise to bear as quickly as possible in an effort to solve this very complex problem. We'll, co we'll continue to provide updates as they become available. And again, our thoughts and prayers are with the crew and the families and their loved ones. So uh, that is um, U.S. Coast Guard Captain James Frederick, who provided an update to reporters in Boston just a short while ago. And uh, among the things that he uh, uh, indicated was that uh, there are, is quite a bit of um, effort being put into this, uh, not just from the U.S. Coast Guard, but also from the Canadian Coast Guard. The John Cabot is expected to arrive uh, on the scene later today. Sorry, as well as um, a number of uh, P-3 and C-130 aircraft, which are scanning uh, the waters. Um, they are doing a surface search and a subsea search as well. And the deep energy uh, vessel arrived on the scene with um, underwater ROV capabilities. Um, and that has uh, been already um, conducting searches in the uh, last known area of the Titan. Uh, so a lot of effort being put into this uh, search uh, situation, but uh, I think everyone, Claudette, is painfully aware of the time that is ticking away. Yeah, just um, the words when it shot up on the screen too because I was uh, watching a lot of this as well just to know the oxygen level could be depleted by uh, 6 a.m. on Thursday. It's certainly just, it's a race against time. And, uh, you know, that's... Um the, the the oxygen on board this uh, submersible is in a best-case scenario. Right. Well, we don't know the status of the people living uh, on, on board yet. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. So... You know, there's so many factors here, and everyone painfully aware uh, that time is of the essence. I said to Jerry Lynn Mackey this morning, I said, I don't know about you, but every time I turned over in the bed last night, I was thinking about these five men. 
Yeah, uh, it's on everybody's minds. It's it's them, it's their families, and their families. I'm even thinking about what the families are thinking as they're watching and hearing about the news coverage. Um, just the sense of hopelessness. And I believe I read as well, uh, Michelle Joe, uh, just saying that I wish I could do something. You well, know. don't we all? Um, it's a very helpless feeling. Now, it is, yeah. uh, let's be clear. These, um, a lot of them are experienced adventurers. The best of the best, yeah. Um, and they uh, take risk on all the time. Mm-hmm. And they signed waivers that it's pages and pages and pages that outlines all of the risks involved in them. I mean, I mean it's highly, I mean, it's got to be one of the most risky things, you know, traveling to the bottom of the ocean and going into space have to be about yeah, on level. On, on par. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they're very well aware. Uh, but I wonder about that 19-year-old. He's the guy I keep thinking about. Yeah, you and plus you're a mom. Yes, of a son. Yeah. So I and how that mom is feeling today? Helpless. Oh, for sure. oh my gosh! And I think it doesn't take much imagination for the average human being, which is why I think this story has captivated so many people right around the world. It has absolutely captivated the world. Our newsroom is getting calls from media in Australia mm-hmm. and all over the world. I was talking to uh, um, the Radio Times today in London. You know what I mean? It's it's captivated the world, and you do have a sense of helplessness. Yeah. Anyway, we're watching the situation very closely, and uh, Captain Frederick had a lot more to say when he responded to uh, questions from reporters in Boston earlier this afternoon, so we'll give you a little bit more of that when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. So, of course, we're captivated, uh, like the rest of the world, with this story, the search underway off the south southeast coast of Newfoundland at the site of the Titanic where the uh, submersible Titan has gone missing, missing since Sunday morning. And a U.S. Coast Guard spokesperson, Captain James Frederick, provided a, a bit of an overview today to reporters in Boston about the resources that are being put into it, both Canadian and uh, U.S. Uh, uh, resources. And of course, the U.S. Coast Guard is the lead on this, but there are, um, uh, you know, there's interest in this around the world. Of course, it's a sort of an international um, crew on board of this um, uh, submersible. Um, and France has offered its help as well, sending a, uh, a vessel to the site with some uh, capability there. Um, so U.S. Coast Guard spokesperson Captain James Frederick responded to questions from reporters from all over the world in Boston earlier this afternoon. Here's some of how that went. So each of the ROVs, uh, so, so that's kind of a vague question, right? That, uh, ROVs have different capability. It's our understanding the current ROV that is deployed uh, at the site now has some limited capability. Uh, it has a camera on board. Um, but, but again, each of those is different, and uh, we'll be gathering more information as that uh, operation uh, goes on through the day. Captain, it's Tom Costello with NBC News. Uh, if your submersibles can find this sub, is there any way to retrieve it and save the people on board? Yeah, so right now, all of our efforts are focused on finding the sub. Um, what I will tell you is we have a group of, of uh, our nation's best experts in the unified command. And if we get to that point, 
uh, those experts will be looking at what the next course of action is. How many hours of oxygen are left that you know of or that you can estimate right now so, on the submersible? And is it a pass, does it have to be approved or regulated? Sure. So, so first of all, that's, that's an estimate, right? Because we know uh, from the. Uh, the, the data we were using uh, as a starting point was 96 hours. We know at this point we're approximately uh, about 40, 41 hours. 41 hours left? Yes. And does, right. does it have to be approved or regulated? Is it submersible? Does it go through anything that you know of? Yeah, I'm not sure uh, of, of the exact technical uh, piece of that. We know there's about uh, there's about 40 hours of, of breathable air uh, left based on that initial report. Again, uh, that was just the initial report based on 96 hours uh, from when the vessel... Um, Captain, so Captain, Captain, even, even with that amount of time that's left, let's say 41 hours or so, if you were to find the submersible at this moment, would that give you enough time to save these five people on board? Yeah, I... So, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. What I will tell you is we will do everything in our power to uh, to effect a rescue. Um, again, uh, it's going to depend on if, if the ROV finds something, it's going to depend on what they find, what what needs to be, uh, what steps need to be taken next. And uh, and really that is for the experts within the unified command um, to take a look at and then, and then uh, decide what the best course of action is. It seems to have taken another disaster. Right now, uh, our effort and our focus is on searching with what we know. Uh, when, as soon as we received the report on Sunday evening, we immediately uh, launched search efforts. Uh, we flew assets that evening, and we've continued constant uh, surface and air asset searches uh, since that point. You mentioned that the search operations are complicated. Where are the biggest challenges that you Well, it, it's a, this is a complex search, and um, it's complex for a variety of reasons. Um, we're, we're, you know, you're talking about a search area that's 900 miles east of Cape Cod, uh, 400 miles um, south of uh, St. John's. So logistically speaking, it's hard to bring assets to bear. It takes time. It takes coordination. Um, and then we're dealing with, uh, you know, two pieces of, you're dealing with a surface search and a subsurface search. And frankly, that makes it an incredibly complex operation. Captain, will the Navy, will the U.S. Navy or the Canadian Navy be able to get salvage equipment on time before the air runs out? Obviously, uh, getting salvage equipment on scene is a top priority. Uh, Unified Command is working through that to prioritize uh, what equipment um, we can get there. There are ongoing operations right now uh, via the U.S. Navy and Transcom to get conditions to get equipment uh, staged in St. John's and to get it on scene. I can't give you an exact timeline of when that's going to happen. What I can tell you is uh, there is a full press, full court press effort uh, to get equipment on scene as quickly as we can. Is that equipment, is that equipment already on the East Coast, though, or is it coming from the Pacific, for example? No, the, so some of the equipment that's coming is coming from the East Coast, but again, we're talking about very heavy equipment. Um, it, it's a complicated transport operation, but the best uh, professionals in the world are working it, and that's uh, U.S. Transcom. Okay. Yeah, when, when, when it comes to the, uh, the equipment, can you put in more detail if you have a third point one that's, uh, that's being shipped up to that location? And since you don't have the fleet type vessel, could we 
Yeah, there, so like I said, there are some, there are several civilian ships uh, that have offered services heading that way. There are additional Coast Guard cutters. Uh, we hope to have a Canadian Coast Guard cutter on scene this evening. We hope that they may be able to assume on-scene commander. Uh, Polar Prince has been doing a, a great job with those duties, uh, but if we could take some of that uh, from them, uh, that would be good. But your, your question about specific equipment, I, I'm not going to get into talking about specific equipment. Frankly, I'm not an expert on what that equipment is, but again, I can tell you, we have experts in the Unified Command that are going through that, prioritizing what we need and then how we get it on scene. So that's U.S. Coast Guard spokesperson Captain James Frederick there on the waterfront in Boston providing an update to reporters and uh, fielding questions from um, reporters from all over the world, as you could clearly uh, tell, both American and from the BBC in particular, uh, in that particular instance. Um, and uh, it's of a great interest here in uh, Canada, of course, and um, the logistics that must go into this. I know the uh, when Stockton Rush was here and I met him and, and chatted with him for more than an hour for On Target just a few months ago. Uh, he, you know, gave us a little update, um, overview, I suppose, of the logistics that go into um, this kind of an expedition. And uh, this is something that they plan for year long, year round. You know what I mean? There's there's all kinds of... And now this search effort is now underway and they have to deal with all of those similar types of logistics from like uh, base zero, if you know what I'm saying. That's a lot of people and a lot of organizations to coordinate. And I still can't get the image out of a needle in a hay... I know it's very rudimentary, but like a needle in a haystack. I wonder... Really, I can't picture the, the vastness of the ocean and how you would even go about to begin searching where. You know, and the difficulty is, is that uh, you know uh, we live close to the waters. We we're familiar with this, and we've heard these stories time and time and time and time again. Now, <laughs> there's some very specific things that are unique to this situation, not the least of which is a submersible going down to the bottom of the ocean. But, um, uh, you know, we've seen these things time and time again. And even when you know what you're looking for and you know where something is, even then it's hard to find. Yeah, because I can't get my head wrapped around how I think they call, you know, they notice that there must have been distress because an hour and 45 minutes, they, you know, they lost contact. So they've been searching ever since they found out. Sunday morning. And you, you know, as yeah. time goes by, I can only imagine, you know, where else do you look? How do you do it? I'm really curious about that. Yeah, and it raises a lot of questions because, uh, as um, Stockton Rush had previously indicated, there are lots of ways that this uh, particular submersible is is rigged out to come back to the surface. Whether you have power or not, they have ways and means to mm -hmm. get this thing back to the surface. That is, you know, priority number one. Priority number two, well, I suppose priority number one is that it doesn't collapse on itself because of the pressures of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Priority number two, according to what he said, is to get this thing to the surface. So those are the two main priorities. After that, he said nothing else matters. And, you know, I think everybody understands that. But once you, this, this thing comes to the ocean surface, you can't get out of it. They are sealed in from the outside. So if they're bobbing around on the surface, they're going to be just as anxious, I suppose, as if they were two miles down because 
they still need to be removed to from be able this to get thing, out yeah uh, by somebody else mm-hmm. so uh, you know there are as he just indicated this is an incredibly complex operation and as some of the reporters uh, were pointing out you know even if you found this submersible right now right now you found it would you be able to get it and bring it to the surface Right, so that's you know phase, too late. phase one, find out. Phase two, how do we get the people inside out? So incredibly complex. Inc- uh, I, you know, uh, kudos to the people involved in this effort. And uh, it looks like absolutely every uh, resource, is being, resource is being thrown at this particular uh, situation. Now, um, in future, will people be welcoming these kinds of tourism that way expeditions yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know given the circumstances whatever the outcome might be this is going to change things that remains to be seen but yeah it is it is it gives a lot of people pause for thought that's not for today's this you know it's not really today's conversation but you know i think we're getting to the place where a lot of people are, are asking it themselves to themselves um anyway we'll have uh more about this throughout the course of the day and in well you know uh until this reaches some kind of a conclusion um we're up to news time now with noah shepherd this is news talk on vocn nutrition exercise keeping the cold at bay whatever keeps you feeling great the wellness and healthy lifestyle show on your vocm and we're back well we've been talking about the uh, massive search effort now underway off uh, the coast of newfoundland and labrador the uh, weather in st john's right now absolutely terrible um very low visibility but what's it like at the titanic wreck site off the southeast coast well environment canada meteorologist david Neil joins me now. Hi, David. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, good. These are very busy days, as you can appreciate. Um, so we know what the weather is doing here in the St. John's region. What is it doing out at that search site right now? Uh, well, right now, um, anybody at, uh, at, the, at the surface there uh, um, uh, with, that, with that operation, uh, as it stands right now, um, we, don't, we don't have a whole lot of observation out there right now, but uh, um, from, what, from what we can, uh, we can uh, ascertain, it uh, looks like generally in terms, of, uh, in terms of winds, mainly a moderate west to northwesterly flow, so looking anywhere uh, 15 knots, maybe, maybe upwards of, of 20 knots. So overall, not, not too, too bad day in terms of uh, in terms of wind um, as uh, as they go through into uh, as we get into tonight there are, there is the potential for some stronger northwesterly winds to come in uh, 20 knots possibly upwards of 25 uh, uh, coming in more uh, late to, late tonight but as it stands right now um, conditions aren't uh, aren't uh, too too bad out there uh, in, uh, in terms of at, at the surface what about visibility uh, overall uh, there is a possibility that, uh, as I mentioned, not, we, don't, we don't have much in the way of observation, but there is a possibility that there could be some patchy fog uh, out in, in the area. Um, it's uh, unable to confirm that at the time, but the, there is a possibility that that, that is there. But that uh, those conditions, uh, if they are there, they should be uh, uh, should be improving through the day today into uh, into tonight. So overall, uh, that that shouldn't be too too big of an issue as well. Uh, in, in terms of uh, significant wave heights uh, generally looking 
right now more than likely seeing uh, seeing wave heights in the one to two meter range uh, those those wave heights could creep up just a little bit uh, as we get into uh, into early tomorrow but uh, overall in terms of wind and waves uh, not too too bad out there now uh, but there is uh, there is that possibility of course uh, of uh, uh, of some uh, some patchy fog out over the area and what about the general weather window? Um, will will things start to close in or or improve over over the next day or so? Uh, well, in terms of uh, in terms of winds, uh, as I mentioned, it looks like. Uh, um Likely sometime tonight could see uh, could see some stronger winds uh, move in. Uh, could see uh, upwards of about 25 knots or so out of the northwest uh, th- uh, through the day tomorrow. After that, re- the overall uh, wind pattern generally alternates between moderate and strong. So looking anywhere from uh, as low as 15 knots. Uh, again, there could be some indica- some uh, possibility of uh, winds uh, upwards of 25 knots as well up uh, over the next uh, over the next couple of days. So it'll be kind of up and down in that in that regard uh of course as those stronger winds come in you expect uh, wave heights to be a touch a touch higher but uh, uh if uh with those more moderate winds i uh, expect the wave heights to come down so they'll be kind of um uh, alternating between uh, g- generally speaking mainly looking at wave heights in the, in that one to two meter range in terms of significant wave heights um, in terms of visibility, uh, overall, uh, still some indication could be some very, very patchy fog uh, throughout parts uh, throughout uh, much of this week. But uh, um, not looking at uh, at um, any you know, really widespread large areas at this at this point in time. Uh, but that that possibility is there at least uh, uh, until until Thursday. But then uh, when we get into Thursday, things uh, in, in terms of visibilities, uh, things should stay uh, sh- should stay pretty good at that point. So that's uh, the the weather forecast out there, and of course, all of our minds are there, and we're wishing for the absolute best in that uh, this scenario. However, um, on this side of things, uh, we it's been a long, long time since we've seen a good um, display of the sun lately. Uh, what can we expect in the next coming days? Uh, well. Uh, the, I guess uh, there's uh, this is some of the good news, at least for for us. Yeah, we've certainly been stuck in a uh, in a bit of a miserable pattern here, but uh, uh, conditions will be gradually improving on the east coast uh, throughout the day and into this evening. Uh, looking at that uh, bit of rain drizzle over the uh, northern Avalon, kind of the, the last area where that's going to hang on, uh, but that should move out by this evening. Then at that point, we get into a, a bit of a switch in uh, in 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 air masses here and we're going to uh, see some nicer conditions come in not only in terms of uh, um, just in, in in terms of uh, kind of seeing the sun and and things like that get some more but it looks like some uh, some warmer temperature is going to move in uh, looking at uh, some some daytime high temperatures finally getting into the 20s for uh, uh, for the for the northern Avalon and and, and a few areas uh, as you get further west and into into central even seeing some uh, potential for high 20s as we get into late week and early weekend so um, now before that uh, because since uh, we don't expect temperatures to get overly warm today um, as things are clearing out uh, uh, into later today and into tonight uh, we are expecting uh, temperatures uh, overnight tonight to get quite chilly 
with the clearing skies and light winds. So we do have frost advisories in effect for most of the island. Um, and anywhere where there isn't a frost advisory, there is a, a risk of frost uh, for tonight, just simply because the temperatures today just aren't going to get uh, uh, too, too warm. And then uh, with cooling uh, cooling temperatures again tonight, uh, could see uh, some areas of, uh, of, of, of patchy frost throughout uh, throughout much of uh, much of the island so still got a little bit of uh, a little bit of colder uh, colder uh, conditions a few colder conditions to, to uh, continue uh, over the next little while but looks like uh, some hope on the horizon in terms of uh, in terms of things getting a little bit more uh, summery that's for sure david neal uh, really appreciate this thank you not a problem thanks for having me so there you go, frost advisory. <laughs> of course, I heard Noah reading that just a short while ago. Just imagine now, Claudette. Frost advisory tonight and then in the 20s for a couple of days this week. It's summer tomorrow, officially. Oh, yeah. I should know this. It's officially summer tomorrow. We're getting frost tonight. Nice. Yeah, that's just a little indicator of uh, the season that we've had. What would you call a spring that wasn't? Sprinter. Sprinter, there you mm-hmm. go. Anyway, we uh, staying with the uh, the search effort uh, now. um, The mayor of St. John says the city is at the ready to assist with whatever resources are needed as the search continues off the province's coast. Danny Breen calls it a terrible situation. They're hoping that everyone on board has returned to safety to their families. While no plans are formally in motion, Breen says that the city is ready if called upon. He spoke with VOCM's Richard Duggan earlier today. The eyes of the world are on the situation that's unfolding off Newfoundland's coast. Um, anything that happens, I would assume, would come back to uh, the city's harbor. What role does the city play in terms of even just supports, or is there a role that the city's playing here? You know, anything that's uh, that's needed, uh, the the city will be there to help. It's a terrible situation, and 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 seeing it unfold, or just pray and uh, and hope that the uh, people aboard the submarine are returned safely to. Uh, uh, to their families. Is the city setting any plans in motion to have supports ready? No, uh, you know, in a situation like that, we're, we're certainly ready if, uh, if called upon. I understand that the Premier has reached out uh, and uh, spoke to the, uh, uh, the parties involved and offered assistance, so any assistance that we can be, we'll be there as well. And it's not just uh, in terms of St. John's Harbor, but uh, I understand some military aircraft have already started landing in um, at uh, YYT, the U.S. Air Force uh, aircraft, uh, landing uh, at St. John's International earlier today uh, as part of that uh, search effort, no doubt. So um, as uh, Richard Duggan said, the eyes of the world are, are on this particular story. Well, when we come back, the ribbon has officially been cut at the new chemotherapy unit at the Dr. H. Bliss Murphy Cancer Care Center. Uh, VOCM's Richard Duggan was on hand for that event this morning, and we'll have more on that when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. And we're back. And after that forecast, I just uh, sent a little note to my husband. I said, I guess you're not playing ball today. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, it de- I guess ball, no, but um, our uh, running group yesterday when it was raining out after work we still had to run but I guess certain sports you can't (laughs) oh how nice (laughs) I know right (laughs) lucky you (laughs) 
uh, have fun running tonight. Right? <laughs> well, the ribbon has officially been cut at the new chemotherapy unit at the Dr. H. Bliss Murphy Cancer Care Center. VOCM's Richard Duggan was on hand for the event this morning. Here's some of what was heard at the event, beginning with MP and cancer survivor Yvonne Jones, who uh, made her triumphant return to uh, the House of Commons last week. We'll also hear from Cancer Care Foundation Executive Director Lynette Hillier, Health Minister Tom Osborne, and Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services CEO David Diamond. Good morning. It's uh, I'm pleased to be here and to join you all today to take another step in broadening cancer treatment for patients in Newfoundland and Labrador. As Lynette said, I have firsthand knowledge of how important this service is and how important all services are to patients in Newfoundland and Labrador and across Canada. I want to acknowledge my colleague from the House of Assembly, the Minister of Health and longtime friend, Minister Osborne, and also to Mr. Diamond, who I had the pleasure to talk with many times, whose job is not easy either in <laughs> running healthcare in this province, and also to acknowledge Lynette for the tremendous work she does. Um, Paul Davis, who's here, a former colleague and cancer survivor. I want to acknowledge Kathy Smallwood, who's a three-time cancer survivor and my accompanying friend this morning with me here. And of course, the lady that doesn't need any introduction, Dr. Joy McCarthy. And when I come in, Joy said, Yvonne, you're rocking the hat. Well, Joy, you rock everyone's life who walks into your office. You're an amazing oncologist. And I've been lucky in having you as, uh, as my doctor for many years. So I really want to give you a shout out. And to all you friends that are gathered here today, so many of you I've known and had the opportunity to work with in cancer fundraisers, promoting cancer care for patients in Newfoundland and Labrador, and many of you I know from other walks of life. Newfoundland and Labrador has one of the highest incidence rates of cancer in the country. Too many of us hear the words, you have cancer in our lifetime. In a 12-month period last year, the Provincial Cancer Care Program had over 100,000 patient visits. Over 3,600 newly diagnosed cancer patients were part of those visits. These numbers all have a face and a name tied to them. They are our family, our friends, our co-workers, and our neighbors. It is the mission of the Cancer Care Foundation that when cancer patients walk into any of the four cancer centers in our province, that leading edge cancer treatment equipment and patient support programs will be there. That's why partnerships and these projects, like the one we're celebrating here this morning, are so important. The construction of this brand new chemotherapy unit was a partnership project between the Cancer Care Foundation, the Government of Newfoundland and Labrador, and Newfoundland Labrador Health Services. Every province in Canada has a Cancer Care Foundation and a Health Care Foundation, but we are so blessed in this province to have the Cancer Care Foundation and the Health Care Foundation that reach out to our community partners. And Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are generous by nature, but they, the work of the Cancer Care Foundation, Gary, in bringing this to fruition is so wonderful to see. This space is state-of-the-art, patient-centered, based on best practices. 
and for all of the, the cancer survivors here in the room today, the, the cancer patients, you know firsthand the importance of a space like this. This will improve the delivery of health care to cancer patients in the province. So I am absolutely delighted on behalf of government as, as the Minister for Health and Community Services that we were able to partner with the Provincial Health Authority and the Cancer Care Foundation to make this a reality today. Dave, your leadership in Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services and, and the work we've done, we've set out on an ambitious 10-year program through the Health Accord, and Dave has joined from the previous Eastern Health now as, as the, the chair of the Provincial Health Authority. We have an ambitious goal ahead of us. We were talking earlier. The people of the province are ready for that change, to transform health care. Today is a prime example of what that looks like. Congratulations to everybody involved. I know for our, our ambulatory oncology patients as well, who will now be able to be treated here in this unit with all of their needs met in this unit, whether it's dietitians or social workers or other health professionals, bringing them into this unit to be treated is so important as well. So the vision and bringing this to reality is so important. I want to thank everybody who was involved and to our cancer patients who are here. The, the courage that you bring to this, seeing you here, knowing that you and other patients in the province will get better treatment, this is what it's all about. Lynette made the comment earlier that uh, in partnership we can do great things, and I think we'll all, we can all agree in partnership we've done something great here. Uh, I think I've seen this space twice. One, this looked like a warehouse, and there was nothing here. This was just shelled in space. The second time we, we saw it, it was a fly-through. It was uh, the, the architects did a fly-through and uh, gave us a sense of what it could look like. And, uh, but this morning, to, to come in and uh, actually see this physical structure, wow, is all I can say is, wow, this is fantastic space. Thank you, every. Thanks so much for coming out. I'm really pleased to be here to be part of this official opening of the chemo unit this morning. And I hope that you will agree with me that this is a, a welcoming and comfortable space and one that will benefit, uh, provide benefits to our patients and their loved ones ones starting next week. So this is a really important day. Monday is a really important day. The first patients will come in on Monday. Being able to provide this space along with high quality health care services uh, in this new state-of-the-art unit wouldn't be possible without many of you who are here today and you've already heard that. I'd like to add my thanks, sincere thanks to the Cancer Care Foundation, to um, uh, Lynette and Gary and, and to the board, to the government, to the minister, to uh, uh, governments who have uh, uh, been very supportive and to our staff and our healthcare professionals. We're here today thanks to your commitment and your support. Thank you as well to the patient and family advisors who were engaged throughout the design and construction of this unit. Your feedback and your insight are invaluable and so you know to those of you who are on your cancer treatment journey this space is for you. To those of us who are caring even now for loved ones with cancer, this space is for you. And to our health professionals who provide 
uh, care in such a compassionate way that's already been spoken to. This space is for you. The design of this unit is based on best practice. It's patient-centered, and it also provides benefits to our staff and our health care providers. Starting next week, this space will accommodate both the patients of the cancer care program and, out and the outpatient hematology oncology services. All ambulatory oncology patients, as the minister talked about, will receive their outpatient treatments and services under one roof and will access, uh, have access to the support services of the Provincial Cancer Care Program here on site. So that's uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services CEO David Diamond. And uh, we also heard from Lynette Hillier, Health Minister Tom Osborne, and of course, MP and cancer survivor Yvonne Jones right off the top for the uh, official ribbon cutting of the new chemotherapy unit at the Dr. H. Bliss Murphy Cancer Care Centre. Well, a conference in St. John's has heard how the mining sector is increasingly using technology uh, in many facets of the industry. Tech NL and Mining NL join joined forces to stage a one-day show at the St. John's Farmers Market today. Several high-tech companies presented on the benefits of using advanced technology in mining to increase company value, improve safety, raise the percentage of ore recovery by about 20% and be a greener and cleaner operation. Florian Viome, CEO of TechNL, spoke with VOCM's Brian Medor earlier today. Uh, just tell me about the conference, uh, merging technology and the mining sector how does that all come to pass so the um, mining tech market so the mining tech market in general is an event to connect uh, the tech sector and tech companies to another industry and we did two in the energy sector one last year and one uh, earlier this year and now today we are um, opening this event to the mining tech sector so we are partnering with uh, mining NL, CNA and the uh, uh, Mika network to create connection between those local companies who are, who are developing technologies to mining companies who are in full production and very active. So what can you offer the mining industry, say, from the tech sector? So there are a number of, like, the, the, the range of technologies is pretty, is pretty large. Uh, so there are many companies that are already doing, for example, what we call remote operations, so uh, drones and uh, uh, simulations to prepare and train staff. So that's a kind of technology that could be adopted. But sometimes we don't know. Some uh, tech companies are developing a technology that could be applied to, uh, to the mining industry. So it's also a space to discover those new opportunities to partner. And uh, that helps the companies in, in the tech sector to generate business uh, opportunities. It also helps um, digitalize and develop technology adoption in mining companies, but also raise the visibility of uh, both, uh, both uh, sectors. How do, most mine operations are pretty remotely located. Uh, how does that play out uh, with technology? Is that a challenge? So I'm not an expert in mining, but what I can tell you is that uh, this challenge is also shared in the uh, in general in the resource uh, extraction industry, like the energy sector. So there are a lot of technology, like as I mentioned, uh, drone and, and subsea technologies that are used, and the idea is to explore how can be be applied to uh, to the mining sector. So how can technology help the mining sector? Are you talking about improving safety, uh, efficiency, or recovery? recovery 
all of that stuff? Yes, absolutely. So there is a, an, an element of efficiency. There's an element of, of safety. There's also um, an element that uh, talent is becoming more challenging to find in all industries. So automation can also help um, increase the capacity of mining companies to implement their operations. Florian VMA Tech NL, thanks very much. Thank you. Merci. Uh, Florian Viomi, uh, uh, CEO of TechNL, speaking with VOCM's Brian Medor today at uh, a little one-day show at the St. John's Farmer's Market about um, uh, between TechNL and MiningNL, uh, who are um, embracing technology to um, do things better, I suppose, in the mining industry. Well, that's it for us for today. Do stay tuned. Uh, we will have all the latest on that search off the coast uh, and uh, all of the uh, stories related to that um, in the coming hours um so stay tuned uh we'll be back tomorrow do join us then in the meantime have a have a great evening